So we are learning now Talmud and medicine. And before we continue reading inside, um, I, I think we, we touched in our, in our intros that we gave, maybe it was even a two or three week intro uh, upon very important topics. And God should help, it should only be theoretical. And it's even better to have this discussion when it's only theoretical because then the person's emotions are not involved and a person can think clearer. So let me just bring up something that is open-ended, but I think it's important for us to appreciate the severity of this discussion and how in real life, understanding it a little bit more to the right or a little bit more to the left will actually have a lot of real consequences. And that is like this, that we mentioned there's, there's a paradox. There is something that has, to be, that has to be pointed out. On one hand, if we want to speak in the negative, the negative, the opposite of pursuing one's health is a murder, right? Killing, separating the soul from the body. You can say this is the most serious sin in the Torah. One can make that argument. It's definitely one of the sins for which one has to give one's life. Um, when it comes to idolatry, God forbid, I'm not at all minimizing idolatry, but idolatry, we know that God is forgiving. A person should never sin in order to do tshuva, but if a person made a mistake in their past and they make a sincere tshuva, the Torah says they are mamish forgiven. Not only are they forgiven, however we'll understand it, but their mistake is transformed. The transgression can become a mitzvah. That's what the sages tell us, however, however we'll explain it. So the a trans, a, idolatry can become a mitzvah after tshuva, through tshuva. Murder can never be corrected. So murder is the, the most uh, far-fetched ending action that someone can do, which is taka why it's from the top three. A person has to give their lives never to commit murder. Now, what would be the opposite side of that coin? What would be the opposite of going in the opposite direction. I'm not going to commit murder. What will I do? I will enhance life. I will make someone's life be extended. Or let's just put this in the umbrella of medicine. That would make the practicing of medicine, let's say, the greatest mitzvah in the world. Because you're prolonging someone who, God forbid, got ill, and by the laws of nature, without intervention, they only have X amount of time to live. And this is like the opposite of murder. Here through practicing medicine, you're extending their life. All right, so far, so good. So here's my question. We pointed it out. If a doctor has an opportunity to extend someone's life and the doctor, the he or the she, chooses not to do so, how serious of a transgression is that? Or like we pointed out, can, why is a doctor even allowed to charge for her services? He's doing a mitzvah. He's extending someone's life. He's preventing someone's life from ending. And if it becomes a mitzvah, there's so many ramifications. Like, first of all, you can't charge for doing a mitzvah. It's not so simple. You have to find loopholes. Or like I mentioned in the intro, what happens, how can a doctor even be allowed to have hours? You know, from nine to five. And I know that many doctors, if they'll ha if they'll get the phone call at, at 10 p.m., they'll go running. Nice. But is it nice or is it their obligation? 
Because if someone rings their bell and tells them, listen, you know, X, Y, and Z is happening, even if there's someone else that can be of help, so what? But there are, isn't a doctor obligated to uh, perform, to execute his services? And, I, and we don't find such a thing. We don't find that a doctor is mechuyiv. A doctor, it's an, it's an optional profession. A doctor, just look what, what happens. A doctor has the right to deny his services. A doctor can have hours. But how do we explain that? Can anyone share some insight over here? Or let me ask like this. We know that our lifestyle choices, whether it is what we eat, our diet, whether it is exercise, we know that as a fact, by the laws of nature, by the laws of nature, it will determine how long we live. And of course, there are many variances that we that are unknown or perhaps still unknown. And of course, we're not denying the existence of Ashgacha Pratis, etc. But when we're looking from our perspective, what is my responsibility? Then, you know, science has already proven that people that choose to avoid certain poisonous sugars and other foods that are unhealthy, you know, they get less inflammation and they get less illness and they live longer. You know, we know people today that are living a uh, hundred years old, and there's there is a certain pattern with exceptions, which if you you know if you avoid foods that are really unhealthy, if you have a certain lifestyle, if you get enough rest, if you do exercises, this helps extend the life. So here's my question: Am I mechuyif to follow that diet? And if I don't, I'm guilty of murder. No one says that. My question is just why? Who can who can shed light over here? Why isn't eating a Danish murder to yourself? Well, we have free choice. And it's not directly. It's a long-term, indirect thing, right? Like, the terrorist says, do not kill. It means, like, don't shoot a person. It doesn't mean, like, don't feed them unhealthy foods so that in 70 years they're going to die because of it. Okay, let me ask you, let me ask you, let me counter that. If I take a person, God forbid, if Reuven takes a person and likes, and Reuven takes Shimon and locks Shimon in a, in a home in which Shimon has no food, he's stuck in there. And Shimon died of starvation. Did Reuven murder him? Yeah. Well, was, was it direct? No. Let's say let's say let's say it took a month. I mean, there's a science to it. How long people can live without eating, as long as they drink. So, you know, if it's not direct, is there a difference between thirty days and thirty years? I'm just I'm just ask I'm just bringing up these questions. Well, the question about the doctor. Um society has a system where if you have an emergency you can go somewhere that's open in 24 hours so it doesn't i don't think it falls on the individual why not why not we know what, what happens if i live in a city where the care that i get in the 24-hour care is really 
inferior compared to the expert doctor who do a much better job. And we all know by the laws of nature, everything is Ashgacha Pratis, but sometimes, you know, the doctor will determine that the type of doctor, the individual doctor, his or her expertise or lack thereof will determine the outcome of the treatment. The doctor just wasn't up to, uh, they were not just exceptional. They did their best. Doctors can do their best, but they weren't as good as. And in many cases, that makes the difference between life and death, meaning in the short run, everyone dies, but that person could have lived another couple of years. You have until now, many people, I know, I'm just saying a, a fact, many people have one type of health insurance. But if, God forbid, they are diagnosed with a very serious illness, they, they change. They don't say, well, I have a doctor. Well, hold on, this is something serious. So why, why go to doctor of, you know, Madrega B if you can try to get doctor from Madrega A? So my question is, is there an obligation on the doctors on the level A to be more proactive? And we know it's not. I'm just trying to understand why. So you're saying because it's indirect. So where do we draw that line? And, and yes, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing the finger back always to me. I like bringing it up about doctors because most people here, at least on this hour, we're not doctors. But don't forget, whatever obligation there is on a doctor automatically will be on myself. I have to take care of my own health. One thing is clear. That taking care of one's health is not a direct mitzvah. It's not like keeping kosher. It's not like keeping Shabbos. It's not considered the negative mitzvah of not murdering. And the proof is that the Rambam, just an example, when the Rambam gives his big introduction, before he speaks about a healthy diet lifestyle, the Rambam says that being that having a healthy body is from the ways of God because, he gives a reason, because if a person is unhealthy, then they are not able to think about God, and they won't be able to love God, and they won't be able to, to perform mitzvahs properly. The Rambam puts health in the category of a, of a pre-mitzvah, a very important pre-mitzvah. It's like, i give you an example. God told us to live in a sukkah. Well, you got to build a sukkah. Is there a mitzvah to build a sukkah? Not directly. The mitzvah is to live in the sukkah. The mitzvah is to eat in the sukkah. But the only way you'll have a sukkah is if you build one. The Raman puts health in that pre-category. It's not the mitzvah. I'm just bringing up that there has to be a line somewhere. You know, if murder, like, where's the line? Where is the line that one can say, well, that lifestyle shortened one's life so much that that's a mamish, that, that was a sin. I know that they once asked Rav Moshe Feinstein, and we have to understand that he lived, not today, he lived going back 60 years ago and 70 years ago and 50 years ago. If I'm not mistaken, he passed away. He passed away in the 80s. I remember his, I was a yeshiva bachir here in Los Angeles when they were, when they were speaking during his passing. He was not here, but they, they made big gatherings to eulogize him. So, so Rav Moshe was asked whether smoking a cigarette is permissible or not. This is, you know, probably in the 70s or maybe in the early 80s when it became already very known how unhealthy it is. Like, how would you answer that question? The one who asked felt that maybe it should be halachically prohibited because you're mutilating yourself. Do we say that? His response actually was, is that one cigarette doesn't kill you. So you can't tell a person who's going to smoke one cigarette that this is prohibited. He says a person shouldn't do it. 
he was advocating people to wean themselves off the habit, this addiction, but because it's it's not immediate, it's it's, it's a gradual. So where do we draw the line? You get my question? Okay, so I'm giving this as an intro to a couple of interesting things that we're learning today, and that will be that in the Gemara, when we speak about illnesses, as you'll see, a lot of the remedies was a modified diet. In other words, the remedy, and it wasn't a one-time thing, the remedy to illnesses was a modification in one's dietetic intake, which would counterbalance certain weaknesses in a person's body. And I have no doubt that this type of medicine is a lot less urgent than the type of medical intervention that's needed nowadays. And if a person has a very serious uh, illness and, you know, you got to do a surgery, then diet is, diet is like a long run. All I want to say is, is that the, the, the longer the run, the, the remedy, the farther away it gets from the, wow, you're murdering, you're not murdering, you know, or mitzvah, not mitzvah. It becomes more of a good thing to do because it will ultimately lead for you to live longer. Okay, so having said all that, so we spoke last week of, of this rabbi who, who was very machmed, of Amram Hasidah. He was, he was the rabbi in a certain very powerful family. They were actually the leading, the, 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 like the, the Jewish semi-king in Bavel. The government allowed a Jew to have their own king. And they had like a whole uh, kingdom. And they were very powerful. And the rabbi in the household was someone who was very machmer. And the and the and the chevra there, the, the 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 family there, they took revenge on him, and they made sure that he lived in a very cold environment. The Gemara uses the words that they forced him to sleep in snow. It wasn't a one-time thing, but living again, you have to, you know, when you when a person is sleeping in a room that is for them too cold, night after night after night, it brought about a whole series of ailments. And the way he remedied himself was, as the Gemara said, is by eating fatty meat and very heavy wine or undiluted wine. So illnesses that come about cold, being exposed to the cold for too long, too many times, is counteracted, is remedied in its root by giving the body fatty meat and undiluted wine. Now what happens here, especially when you modify your diet and you start eating foods that are generally... Um, too heavy for your body is that it heals, it fixes one problem, but it can cause another problem. That's another very important thing in life. You know, we learned about the Midas, spiritual health, emotional health. You know, we all want to find the right balance, but no one is exactly balanced. So when something is too much to the left, so then you have to counterbalance it to the right, but then it goes too much to the right, and that's the whole life you're trying to constantly re-equilibrate and what happened was is that this Rav Amram now had in his body over a certain amount of time things that were doing damage to him. And that needed to be healed. Now, who intervened was a woman called Yalta. 
not the doctors, and there were plenty of doctors there, but Yalta, she herself was a daughter of one of these mini kings. Aside of the fact that she that her husband was the head of the Basdin, but because of her Hashava, real Hashava family background, she had no fear to do something that would displease this powerful family. In other words, when someone was ill because the, the, the royal family decided to mistreat them, healing them could be viewed as an affront to the royal family. And here again, you see, if, that, if he would have been that ill, no one would have cared. There's a mitzvah, there is a certain line, there is a certain place where you say you got to save a life. And if it offends the, the royal family and they might seek revenge, well, God forbid, so be it. You know, sometimes we have to actually give our lives to do the right thing in certain scenarios. Here, no one was giving their life, you know, no one was threatening their life, but there was a certain fear and there was a lack of intervention. In other words, you see that, that do you, are you always obligated to intervene and to upgrade someone's health? It's definitely always a nice thing to do, but can you say that you are always obligated to do so? There is a big gray area. And again, this conversation almost seems like, who cares? No, in real life, it's just a matter of time. There comes up real life cases where this attitude will make all the difference in the world. Like, when, when does one say, I'm not going to intervene anymore? Let it be. It's very difficult to answer that question. Every case is different. You don't have clear black and white uh, guidelines that will, that will be easily usable in all scenarios. Absolutely not. And indeed, there are times, you know, let me just go to end of life a little bit. There are times that a person can say, I don't want any more intervention. I don't want intervention. No one, is, no one is actively killing anyone, but I had enough. Let it be. There are other times where you can argue that there is an obligation to intervene. There is a chiyuv to intervene. It's a very delicate topic, especially when it comes to the end of someone's life. You get the dilemma. This is one of the biggest dilemmas that, that, that Rabbanim have today, as well as people that call themselves ethicists or ethicists, people that, that they want to have an ethical uh, lifestyle, they're going to grapple with this. They're going to grapple with this. It should that when my father was very ill, he, he, he discovered his diagnosis 10 days before he passed away. So he was quetching and complaining of pain for many, many months. But once he heard the diagnosis, they right away moved him into the hospital. And once they moved him into the hospital, maybe it was psychological, who knows, he, his... his his downhill was very, very quick. And at the at the Mamish, the, the day before he passed away on Friday, so there was a there was a concept, there was an option of doing dialysis. Doing dialysis. What would dialysis accomplish then? Then they said it it it, it, it might extend his life. It, not that it would have extended his life the way they worded it, it would extend his life a few days. That will be the upside of doing a dialysis. What will be the downside of doing dialysis? That he was in tremendous pain. So you would be extending his life a few days for what? For him to have pain. So what do you do? It's a very difficult question to answer when it's a real life case. So here you have a patient. My father actually at that time wasn't conscious enough even to be asked a question. Not that, that that's always the way to go. 
but he was he was conscious enough to be moaning, to be moaning and sometimes shouting from pain. And you know, in, in certain scenarios, when people are that ill, giving too much pain medication can can end their life. I think many patients actually passed away from an overdose on morphine. You know, there's a lot of it's very challenging. So the person is in a lot of pain, so you give them pain medication. Well, the pain medication will kill them. But what's the alternative? Not to give them pain medication. Their pain will kill them. So anyway, the bottom line is, is that do you have to make an intervention or not? Is not a black and white scenario. And coming back to our much less dramatic case, so this Rav Amram had some sort of ailment. In other words, he got sick from the change of diet. The change of diet he needed to have to counter the cold that he was exposed to. But this new change of diet resolved A, but brought about problem B. And no one was intervening. There was no intervention. Came along, she was a woman. Again, she was the daughter. She, her father was one of these heads of government. She married the, 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 the head of the basin. She married Rav Nachman. The Gemara speaks about Yalta, perhaps more than any other woman. She was a very, very knowledgeable and she was a fearless woman. And she went ahead and she says, I'm going to heal him. And we go into the detail and the healing to him was not diet. Wow, how did she heal him? That she so the Gemara says that Umayla lay lebeis masusa. She brought him into a bathhouse. She brought him into a shvitz. This is not a one-time thing. This was a, probably a long therapy. masusa. She had him stand in very hot waters. She had him soak for a very long time, very often in very hot waters. I'm reading the words in the Gemara. Until the bath waters changed to the color of blood. In other words, he perspired out the redness of the meat and the redness of the wine. And after that amount of perspiration, that was the antidote, that was the healing that came about from the new diet that he did because of the cold. And once we speak about cold and how cold, or if the body experiences cold for too much of a time, that in itself brings about certain ailments. So the Gemara is going to interestingly speak about two of our sages that were blind. And I'm sure it's meaningful, Dafka, maybe technically meaningful, but meaningful. Rav Yosef was one of the great Amoyraim uh, that was blind. And he, he would turn the mill until he perspired. In other words, it was a safe exercise for him because let's say a person then can go walk. You're blind without the walking stick, you know, without the, the, at least as, as difficult as it is, God forbid, for a blind person to walk, but there's a certain consistency, there's a sidewalk, there's a road. It was probably much harder for a blind person to get around. So he would every day move his body until he perspired by turning a mill. And Apsheshes, which was another of the great Amirayim that was blind, he would carry beams. He would carry heavy loads. He would lift weights until he perspired. And Rapsheshes, while he was doing it, would say that how great is labor. It's not only when you work do you contribute to the world. So it's not only something that you're giving to the world, you're giving to yourself as well. Because labor was speaking then, all labor wasn't the brain. The labor was physical labor. It warms up its practitioners and they understood how making, bringing up the body's temperature to the point that the body perspires 
is definitely a healthy lifestyle. Again, we're not speaking about healing cancer over here, but we're speaking about just a general healthy way of living, and uh, they engaged in it. And here again, can you tell a person that doesn't uh, work out that they are somehow... Um, they are, they are dishonoring the body that God gave them, it's a very heavy statement to make. Are they violating some sort of sin or some sort of lefnim sadin? It's difficult to answer that question. It's difficult to answer that question. In other words, my point is, is that medical intervention is not always an obligation. And that includes, I'm speaking about uh, diet, I'm speaking about um, other types of healthy lifestyle choices like exercise, like removing yourself from stress whenever possible, that it's definitely something that's good to do. And if you are doing it, it's something that, that has religious significance. But on the other hand, it's very difficult to oblige someone, like we do with the 613 commandments. You have to eat kosher. Well, yeah, p- people have freedom of choice, but if they're eating today, if they are violating God's will, um, it's it just the whole world of medicine hasn't it so much of a great area that makes it really fascinating and also makes us appreciate the other areas in the Torah where things are a lot more clear-cut. Because when things are clear-cut, you know, what's kosher and what's treif, we can choose to eat it or not. But Amachai, is this product kosher, yes or no? When it comes to all sorts of medical questions, there's still so much gray area all predicated on that which we spoke on in the intro, that of course it's important to, to go to a doctor and to get healed. But if a person were to choose not to go to a doctor, even in small things, a person is not feeling well, do I have to run to the doctor today? Or can I say, let me wait another couple of weeks and see how I feel then? Well, the counter is, hold on, maybe there's an ailment and maybe if you're going to wait a couple of weeks, if you only would have gone earlier, you would have saved yourself. Maybe it's uh, prohibited to wait. Like, I think it's important, what I'm trying to get at is when it comes to, to refuah, it's it, we should be careful not to always paint it with in an in a, in a extreme brush, with an extreme brush. And maybe that also explains, I'm just saying maybe, why the Gemara again did not me- mentions nothing about the then Western medicine, the then Greek medicine. Because it could even be from then that it was very intrusive, it was very strong. And maybe the general approach was a more holistic approach. It always sounds that way. It's about changing a diet, about eating certain things. Here you doing exercise. We do find in the Gemara the mention of people performing surgeries, but there isn't any elaboration of how they did it and what they did it because, you know, there was a Western medicine practice, but there's, there's a much gentler approach as it appears in the Gemara. And um, God willing, a lot more to be continued. Any questions? Can I ask a question? Yeah. Sure. Is, so you're saying that we're not obligated by the Torah to specifically take after, take care of our bodies or our minds, um, but... Well, one second, Bela, Bela, Bela. If I said those words, then let me just tamper it. It's not... It's definitely... We, we are... We, the Torah advocates for that. But we're not obligated the way we are obligated to, to keep Shabbos. Right, that, that's my understanding. Okay, thank you. And that's why you see many many observant Jews, uh, Bela, that uh, really, really keep Shabbos and they don't uh, really, really take care of their health. Now, no one is condoning it. In other words, it's just to have a clarity, it's it's not directly a mitzvah. It's 
take care of your health in order for you to be healthy, in order for you to be able to do the mitzvahs. Right, that's what the Tanya says. That's what, yeah, that's what the Rambam, that's the famous words of the Rambam, because the Rambam, in the book that we all learn, you know, Chitas Rambam, the Rambam is writing halachas, and the Rambam always quotes a verse. You know, he begins a topic that this has three positive commandments and ten negative commandments, and then he lists them, the Rambam's intro to medicine, which is to healthy diet, the medicine is a healthy diet, is not, he doesn't quote a Pasuk. There's a positive. He says a logical thing. Since being healthy is part of serving God because you can't understand and you can't love God and you can't observe if a person is ill, so therefore the Rambam says hey, you choose a healthy lifestyle. And I would say that most medicine right now, I'm not talking about an emergency medicine. That's what Basi, you know, if a person has a heart attack and the doctor right now has the medicine right now and this doctor right now doesn't intervene, maybe this doctor is, is guilty of, of murder. Could be. But these are very extreme cases. In most scenarios, it's not that right now he'll die. So it's like having a healthy lifestyle. A doctor can say, go to another doctor. You know, I, you're better? No. What, what do you want from the, the better doctor? That he should not have a life? Or what should he do? Okay, and then what about in the case that I'm dealing with, there's somebody who's not taking care of their life, and, you know, I try and help them to have a better lifestyle, but I'm not guilty of of not taking care of them if if they can't, if they refuse to help. That's what, now, now, see, that's, now you see how these topics are not theoretical. So again, I'm, but I am going to answer you theoretically that, that you cannot tell a person that forever you're obligated to give your blood to make sure that someone else stays on the, on the, on the healthier lifestyle. You can't do that. You, you, we, are, we definitely do say at a certain point that that person is responsible for their own choices. And, oh, no, but you should have intervened. And if you would have intervened right now, then, then and then, now we look back and that, that person would have lived that's longer. Can't do that. Exactly. That's exactly what I think about every day. That's, that's the guilt that everyone has. And that's why I'm pointing out that there is a paradox. There is a, there is a line somewhere where non-intervention is, wow, murder. But that line is not anything you can't just broaden it and broaden it and broaden it and broaden it you see in the Gemara someone was sick and no one intervened because they were afraid someone was not well and someone knew the long-term remedy but they didn't want to start up with the government Yalta had guts so she stood up for him just proving that uh, most of medicine the way I understand it is not connected to a murder it's a uh, something nice something important but when I, I'm not even going to call it a mitzvah that much. If not, the, if not a doctor cannot charge money. Which a doc, you cannot charge money for doing a mitzvah. And a doctor is allowed to charge for his services. Okay. All right. All right, Chavra. Yeah.